0: I'm going to be reading Romans um, chapter 15, verses 1 to 13. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should uh, please our neighbours for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, Then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will, have, uh, will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the, whole, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Here in the reading. Hey, everyone. It's uh, great to be here and opening
1: up God's word with you uh, tonight. Um, you'll notice on the back, uh, there's all of Romans 14 there. It's not a misprint. Uh, it's there on purpose because, uh, really, it'll be helpful uh, background and reference for you... Let's continue. Uh, it's a helpful background, a helpful reference, because really, chapters 14 right through to the reading tonight, uh, in, in here, it's really one big issue that Paul is addressing. Uh, he begins with a command. Uh, you'll notice at the start of chapter 14, accept those whose faith is weak. And he kind of ends with a similar one in 15 verse 7, accept one another before he close, closes with a prayer. And also you'll notice, as we heard read, uh, this uh, great theological truth that underlies this, real, this whole uh, passage, his whole argument. And it's uh, God's big plan for the world, his uh, great uh, global gospel plan. You see, God's purposes are much bigger uh, than just you or me. They're cosmic, they're global. His plans are for a redeemed humanity and a redeemed creation and that plan was accomplished and fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ one global family liberated by the blood of Jesus born of God's grace and mercy and living under his lordship from verse 8 for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God. Jews and Gentiles together. Verse 12, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will arrive to rule over the nations. That's Jesus, the Messiah, and in him the Gentiles will hope. One family together. And God's great global gospel plan, uh, promised here, uh, with these quotes from the Psalms and the law and the prophets, Uh has implications for mission, right? And we just heard about that, Uh, Ray, as she went out and asked as we consider how we might serve that mission. But it also has implications, and this is what Paul is talking about here, for life in the local church. Uh, From verse 5, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Why? From verse 6, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the implications for God's global global gospel plan here for the local church? It's unity right? Unity. Uh, one, One mind, one voice glorifying God. God's great global gospel plan means that each church community should be united. A united community of grace glorifying the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, together. Uh, One of the, the best things about the cross is the formation of community, this kind of community. God has designed people for community. And one of the most tragic, indeed one of the most destructive consequences of sin is the breakdown of human community. It happened in the garden where the man uh, turned, away, uh, turned on the woman and the woman turned on the man and they both together turned away from God. And our human communities ever since have been fraught and fractured. And one of the great challenges uh, to unity uh, in our sinful state is how we deal with disagreement and difference. It's a challenge for communities in general. It's a challenge for God's communities as well and it'll it'll be a challenge for us too. The Gospel gives us a great vision for real community, a wonderful vision. And it's a community that's based on God's mercy and his grace. And we're in that kind of community, a grace-based community. We don't deny differences or, or disagreements. Instead, we acknowledge them and we handle them in a way which promotes real unity, authentic unity. But it doesn't always play out like that, even in churches. One alternative to this kind of vision of of grace community we have is surface community, right? That's where we kind of just pretend about our differences. We avoid them. We try not to talk about them. We ignore ignore them and when they turn into conflict and instead of kind of dealing uh, up front uh, with our disagreements and our, uh, our, our kind of divisions, we nurse resentment. We withdraw from each other all in the course of avoiding this unity and division. That's one alternative to kind of this gospel community that... Uh, Paul has before us another alternative is legalistic community that's where there's a kind of a set of rules on top of the gospel that everyone in the community kind of needs to fit under we need to follow them to be accepted legalistic community squeezes people into the same values and behavior the same theological positions and political positions legalistic communities they demand a kind of conformity and if you don't conform well you're not welcome or accepted. And neither of those community, surface community, legalistic community, promote gospel unity and community. Grace is the only way. Well, this gospel community, this unity was under severe pressure in Rome and this uh, Concerned the apostle Paul greatly so much so that he writes about it for one and a half chapters. Because deep in the heart of God's purposes for the world is the restoration of community, and so for Paul, bringing this kind of healing and unity to the church in Rome, it's it's not it's not a side hustle. It's not the icing on the cake. It's it's the cake. It's a fundamental implication of the gospel. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 4. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Every effort. And this is the pressing issue in Romans 14 and 15. We began looking at the issue last week and we saw that the situation in Rome, well, it's pretty tense, pretty tense. Uh, there's Gentile Christians in the church and there's Jewish Christians in the church and and there's a kind of a a bit of a kind of uh, disagreement between the two you see the gentile christians they've rightly understood the gospel they know that they're free to eat meat even though it's been uh, prepared using pagan rituals they know they're not they're not bound by the old covenant as law anymore they've grasped the freedom that they have in the gospel and that's a good thing that's a that's the right thing that's not the problem The problem is they're insisting their Jewish brothers and sisters in Christ do the same as them. They're insisting that they ditch the Sabbath and other festivals. They're insisting that they eat meat, even though their Jewish brothers and sisters, their consciences haven't quite caught up yet. They're insisting that they eat meat, even though eating meat, this kind of meat, sacrificed to idols for them would be a sin. It would cause them to stumble and fall. Do you see what the Gentile Christians have done? They're saying, we have freedom in Christ, but you, you think and act like me. In their freedom, they've imposed a new form of legalism on their brothers and sisters. Or Paul sees what's happening and he's outraged. For the sake of food and drink you're violating the consciences of your brothers and sisters you're causing them to stumble and fall these people for whom christ died remember what he calls these matters back in chapter 14 they're not central they're not decisive they're disputable doesn't matter And you're destroying the work of God for these? Are you serious? Well, chapter 15 is the end point of Paul's argument. And here he says, this is how you should act. This is how it should be. This is what unity in grace to your community looks like. This is who you're meant to be. Or verse 1, first Paul says in Graceville community the strong should bear with the weak. Verse 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak not and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good to build them up. Sometimes he says there are more important things than being right. It's hard to believe isn't it that there could be more important things than being right. We like being right. I like being right. Indeed, sometimes in the name of being right, we behave like it's okay to do all sorts of things that damage others. But as it turns out, sometimes being right isn't so important after all. Now, let's be clear here. Paul is clear on who is right. He identifies with the strong. We who are strong, he says, He's 100%, 100% on board with the theology of the strong. It's says that on some issues, community is more important than being correct. Some issues are not worth causing division and damage over. Now, it's important that we don't mishear this. It's important we uh, uh, really hear what he is saying and what he's not saying. On the one hand, when what is at stake is the gospel or or kind of ethical conduct or behaviour that flows necessarily from the gospel, well, right theology and right conduct conduct is worth insisting on even if it causes division and conflict and that will happen sometimes. Here's an example. Take uh, Paul's letter to the Galatians. He says, if anybody preaches a different gospel, let them be uh, uh, under God's curse. Let them be eternally condemned. Cut off. He's strong here. He's ferocious when the gospel is at stake, Paul. Here's another example from 1 Corinthians. When someone's sin is, is really serious and they are thoroughly and, and proudly unrepentant, Paul's clear. The sexually immoral, the greedy, the slanderers, a whole bunch he lists here. He says they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And in chapter 5 he says, don't associate with them. With the hope, of course, that they will turn from their ways and repent. Paul's not a relativist. He's not kind of tolerating. He's not an anything goes apostle. On the other hand, as in this case, it's just not the case that in every disagreement and difference, the gospel and the behaviour that flows from it is at stake. It's, and the issue here is not worth breaking community over. We must be very careful, very careful, about what issues that will break unity over, what issues we let threaten our community Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Every effort. Well, there'll be issues that fall into that category that we kind of need to take a stand on. But this issue in Rome, it's not one of them. It's not about the gospel. It's not about ethics that necessarily flow from the gospel. It's about religious practices and... These ones here, they're disputable. And so that means those who are strong, those who've rightly understood their freedom in Christ, they should bear with the failings of the weak. The image here is one of carrying a load and so Paul is saying to the strong, for the sake of unity, use your strength to carry, to help, to serve the weak. That's what you should do. He's not saying pretend you're wrong. He's not saying pretend you haven't understood the freedom that you have in the gospel. He's saying, no, use your strength. Use your knowledge in the service of those whose consciences haven't made it as far as yours yet. Use it for their good. Verse 2. Build them up. What does that mean? Well, it means not passing judgment on their weaker brothers and sisters it means not insisting that they eat meat or, or, or ditch the Sabbath indeed it means not doing anything that will cause them to stumble or fall verse 21 chapter 14 sometimes we say to strong people deny your strength, hide your strength don't, don't be strong Paul's not saying that here. He's not saying hide or deny it. He's saying use it. Not in a prideful or self-serving way. Use your strength in the service of others. From Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking uh, to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's the same message, isn't it? Humility, using your strength to serve. Well, here Paul is clear on who is strong and who is weak. Well, how about our context? It won't always be easy to work out that in our situations, I don't think. We don't have an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ to come and tell us, in this issue, you're strong, you're weak you're right, you're wrong. Actually, when I'm in a disagreement about the Christian life or theology, I usually think I'm strong. We think we're right, don't we? We always think we're the strong one. otherwise we wouldn't have that position. But the point of this passage isn't to kind of try and nut out in every situation who's strong and who's weak. The point is, Serve. How might I use my knowledge, my strength to please, to serve, to build up others? How do I love them with what I have? And so often that's not the way that we come to disagreements, is it? But that's what we're called to, to come to these disagreements for the other person's good. Not to, to win, to judge or to crush the other person, but to love them. if you're further along in your face, that's a strength. If you have maturity, if you have wisdom, that's a strength. Use it to serve others who might be kind of getting snagged on issues that aren't so important as they think they are. Use it to serve those who are struggling in their thing. Don't use your knowledge to lord it over them or to, to crush them. Use it to serve them. Be gentle, be kind, be gracious. Real strength, real maturity. It's not meant to puff up. It's not meant to kind of be used to belittle or patronise people. Real strength is to be held in humility and service. In grace-filled community, the strong bear with and they carry the weak. And verse 7, in grace-filled community, we all accept one another. And this is the Apostle's last command in this whole section and it's really the the climax of his whole argument. Brothers and sisters in Rome, whether you're Jew or you're Gentile, whatever background you're from, whatever beliefs, whatever practices, whatever you eat or don't eat, accept one another. Welcome one another, it could be translated. Not just kind of smiling at each other, exchanging pleasantries. Genuinely accept and welcome. Allow the other person in, into your presence, into your life, into your concern and care and into your love. Be a community of grace that makes visible what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. Be that community that fights for the unity that Jesus bought with his precious blood. Don't you want to be part of that community? Well, being in that community means not having criteria on top of the gospel of how we welcome and include and build up each other. It means there aren't extra boxes that people have to tick or hurdles that they need to jump over to be accepted. It doesn't only welcome certain kinds of people, with the right backgrounds or uni courses or statuses or social values. It doesn't kind of form these cliques of relationships that you just can't bust into. That's not grace to a community. In a community of grace, we accept one another. We welcome one another. We recognise the differences that there are between us, all the ways that I might be right and you might be right. And the whole point is we use our differences for each other to build each other up. We all devote ourselves to what God is doing. He's building projects in each of us and in our community together. That's grace-based community. We'll notice how the apostle grounds both these instructions. We use our strength not to please ourselves but to please and build up others. Why verse 3? for even Christ did not please himself. We ought to accept one another. Why, verse 7? Because Christ, the one who became a servant, has accepted us. Christ has accepted you, so accept one another. And Jesus is our servant and our Lord, and as a humble servant, he's our great example. Verse 5, have the same attitude of mind toward each other, that Christ Jesus had copy him Christ was in very nature God but he took on the nature of a servant imitate him imitate the one who humbled himself and became obedient to death even to death on a cross imitate him In the garden of Gethsemane, sweat falling like drops of blood to the ground, Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, Father, but yours be done. Jesus' aim wasn't to please himself. His aim was to serve. His aim was to give his life as a ransom for many. Have that same attitude. By the Holy Spirit, we're being conformed to the image of Christ, conformed in his servants, conformed to carry each other as he has carried us. And the thing is that the cross Carry us is exactly what Jesus did. There by his strength he bore our weakness. There at the cross because he was forsaken we were accepted. And because of his shed blood we can be those who carry each other who build each other those who accept each other as we strive together for gospel unity. And so we return to the beginning, God's great global gospel plan. At the heart of this plan is the restoration of real community. So Paul's earnest desire, his gospel passion is that believers in Rome live in unity with one another. But that unity isn't the end game. It's not the end in itself. Have a look at verse 6 with me. It's so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our unity now kind of anticipates that great day that's pictured in Revelation chapter 7 where every tribe and nation and tongue and people surround the throne of God and are giving him glory. They're praising him for eternity with one voice. And there... And here, in our life together, our unity has a reason, a purpose, a goal, the glory of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And that glory is diminished when his people sing out of tune. When there are discordant notes, when there are clashes and conflicts, when there is division and disunity, when the strong are crushing the weak. This picture is of a choir. God's people here are a choir. It's, it's so beautiful. It's so powerful because in a choir, difference isn't something that you fight about or, or judge over. It's something that we don't even just tolerate. It's something that's needed for a choir to work. It's something that's celebrated, Right? In a choir, you need the basses, the tenors, the sopranos, the altos. You need all, all the different voices. Not, not doing their own thing, but singing the same song in harmony, in unison. Using their strength to serve, accepting one another, celebrating and completing each other. And it's then when, when everyone's doing that, all, all the differences make the choir so beautiful well how about us what will be the challenges to unity here they probably won't be about food or drink though sometimes we can get pretty serious about coffee and what we're having for dinner it probably won't be about Sabbath days what might they be What different ideas, uh, what what theological issues might we disagree over? What different ideas will we have uh, on how we should act on issues of social justice? And the fault lines of the culture around us, you know, wealth and status, power, politics, they kind of always make their way into church. A girl in one of my daughter's classes said she could never be friends or even speak to a a white liberal voting middle-aged Christian male. I tick a lot of those boxes. (laughs) Do you reckon uh, some version of that could happen in the church? I won't be friends with that kind of person. Just to give you context, my daughter attends a church in the inner north of Melbourne, so, you know. not a, Unfortunately, that it's a comment you, you, you'll hear a bit. But whatever the issues we face, some will clearly be disputable. Others will be clearly gospel central. And others, well, they're going to be much harder to figure out. The good news is I'm not proposing we kind of stop the service and we all get into small groups and try and work out all these issues now. But as we approach each issue in our life together, we have a wonderful opportunity. We have a wonderful opportunity to come together as one united, grace-filled community across all our differences, even the significant ones. We have the wonderful opportunity to see that even our significant differences... They're relativized by the blood of Christ. He brings us all together. And we have the wonderful opportunity to use our strength to serve, to build, to accept, to welcome one another as Christ has welcomed and accepted us. So that with one voice we would glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In uh, this passage, there are a couple of prayers that Paul alludes to and we're going to pray them now together. They're going to appear on the screen. I might just have one and have a look at that for a bit just so you can kind of take it in. And maybe flick up the next one. It's the one at the end of the passage. We're going to pray these prayers together. So let's go back to the first one. Together, Father God, give us endurance and encouragement. Give us the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and voice we may glorify you. Next one. God of hope, fill us with all joy and peace so that we may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.